Hi everyone, this will be the wrap-up episode of Political Prude, the podcast PE 2023 special. Now, so many of you told us that you would love one final episode to just wrap up this season, so the team here said, okay, let's just do it. And we went ahead and invited someone who I thought was the perfect person to end off the season with, Professor Tommy Koh. Now, he's a Singaporean diplomat, lawyer, professor, and author who served as Singapore's permanent representative to the United Nations between 1968 and 1971. Now, to me, he has always been such a respectable voice of reason, and my friends and I are always discussing his opinions and commentary on our WhatsApp group chats. <laughs> so to be able to speak with him is truly such an honor and such a pinch me moment, you know. Prof Ko actually wrote a post endorsing Mr. Thaman for PE 2023. And now that the election is over, I actually want to speak to Prof Ko to pick his brain on the election results and also more importantly, what Mr. Thaman's win means for us. So the elections may be over and we will be taking a short break after this, but the Zoda Pop Podcast Network will have so much more content coming your way. Political Prude, the podcast, will also return. So if you're watching on YouTube, please click the subscribe button. And if you're listening in from Spotify as well as Apple Podcasts, click that follow button. And now, Professor Tommy Cole. <music> Professor Tommy Cole, welcome to Political Prude, the podcast. Thank you. Happy to be with you. I'm so honored. I'm so excited to discuss uh, the results and really what mm. to look forward to after this. So let's begin the conversation by really looking at the results of the PE 2023. Right. Um, I mean, from the beginning, I think a lot of people were expecting Mr. Thaman to actually win. Yes. Um, but what I think surprised a lot of people was the margin of victory. <laughs> you know, uh, when I remember um, watching with uh, my peers around me and looking at the sample count and they said 70%, yeah. you know, Thaman mm -hmm. and all of us went like, Really? Wow. <laughs> <laughs> really? We're like, what? Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's such a big contrast to the last contested election. Indeed. 2011, right? Which was a cliffhanger, went on all night long. Yeah, so a lot of so, um, a lot of us were actually really on standby to 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 actually stay up till four a.m. Yeah. five a.m. Right. But once the sample count came in, we we're like, okay, it's gonna be a short night <laughs> this time around. Right. Um, in your opinion, why do you think he did so well? You know, we all expect him to do well, but not this well. So, what what were the key reasons in which uh, resulted in his, his first? Results? I must congratulate the electorate. I think the Singapore electorate behaved with maturity. It behaved with discernment and behaved with fairness. Mm. I think the electorate understood that this is a presidential election. It's not a general election. Mm. And that you should judge Taman not on the basis that he was a PAP member, but on his track record and your view of his character, you know? Mm. And I think attempts by, I think, Kinlian to try to politicize uh, didn't work. Mm. You know? And also... When Kok Song towards the end of the campaign, he campaigned very well actually, but I didn't like the fact that at the end of the campaign he turned negative, okay, know, and started attacking both Kinlian with reason and then with again Taman. I think going negative didn't work this time, you know. Mm -hmm. So I'm very impressed that for the electorate they wanted the campaign to remain positive, right. Got it. Yeah. So uh, in terms of how Mr. Thaman performed, like what do you think were the key things that we can say made him do so well? I'm, I'm biased, you know. I'm <laughs> not <laughs> in that I, I was a supporter of Thaman. Understood. You know? And on nomination day, I in fact wrote something on my Facebook mm. to say, although I'm a friend of all three candidates, I know Kok Song and I know Kin Lian, but 
in my view, he was the best candidate. And I gave four reasons why, you know. Mm -hmm. Taman is one of these people who transcend race. Okay. Yeah. So people don't see him as an Indian candidate. You know, he, he transcends his race. He's a unifying figure. If you look at his track record in Taman Jurong, right? Mm -hmm. The electorate in Taman Jurong gave him every general election a thumping majority, you know, which shows that his support base is not just Indian, but cuts across the races, you know. So I think that that helped. But also, people liked the fact that he kept the campaign positive, mm. you know. And he didn't say anything negative about the other candidate. He just talked about his own qualifications, his, his dreams of the future, even his slogan, right? Yes. Respect for all. I think it resonated with people. And I think Jane was a secret weapon, mm. you know? How so? I think the electric liked the fact that uh, they have a long, happy marriage, that Jane was his intellectual equal, but that she also has a very good heart. She's been helping prisoners, poor people, and underprivileged people. And also one more thing, the fact that she's half Chinese and a fluent Teochew speaker helped to connect with the Chinese ground, I think. Ah, Even okay. the choice of the pineapple online yes. was a very, very successful calculation to choose a symbol that is meaningful to the Chinese community. Got it. So the landslide victory, of course, came at the expense of the other two candidates. Yeah. Uh, did you expect them to perform the way they did respectively? Uh, frankly, nobody knew. I mean, no, we didn't know what to expect, right? Yeah. Kok Song was relatively unknown until he came forward. I mean, for those of us who knew his good work at MAS and GIC, always admired him for his ability and his humility, you know. But nobody thought he would seek public office. So mm. this came as a surprise, you know. Uh, he did a good job campaigning. Kinlian had tried before, as you know, yes. in 2011. And he didn't do well then. Mm. I think he did better. He went from 4.9 to nearly 14%. Mm -hmm. But he was... The, obviously, the electorate did not see him as someone who had the potential to be a president of Singapore. Understood. Yeah. So for Mr. Ng Kok Song, I think um, I did a poll on Instagram and a lot of young adults said that they were actually very surprised by his results. They thought that he would do much, much better. Yeah. Um, where do you think things went wrong for him? I think turning negative was not uh, a good move by him. Okay. He should remain positive, you know. When you're saying um, turning negative, you meant uh, towards the end of the campaign yeah. where he was speaking about... Um, he was questioning Taman's independence, mm -hmm. you know. He was emphasizing his own non-partisanship and then saying that Taman cannot be independent. How can you go from being finance minister to be custodian? The I didn't understand the logic mm -hmm. of his argument. So on the other side is Mr. Tan Kin Lian, right? Yeah. So we, we, we have 2011 to, yeah. to refer to. And he, as you mentioned, he really did much better this time yeah. around. And the surprising thing for a lot of us was that, you know, this time around, there was a lot more controversy based on some of his social media <laughs> yeah. posts, yeah. Uh, his comments made on other podcasts, for <laughs> yeah. example. Um, but he, he still managed to yeah. get more votes this time around. So do you think it was uh, perhaps the endorsement by Mr. Tan Cheng Bok? Or do you think it was something else that allowed people to say, I, I'm going to... I think the endorsement by um, both my friends, no? Cheng Bok and Ji Se, mm. was counterproductive. Okay. Because the electorate saw it as an attempt to politicize 
the presidential election, which the electorate didn't want. Mm. You know, they want to make a clear distinction between the presidential election and the general election. You know, did, that did not help him. I thought he would get more votes because there's, there's always an, an anti-establishment, anti-PAP vote, you know. And uh, I thought he might get more than that. Why do you think it's important for us to not politicize uh, the presidential elections? Because the president is supposed to be somebody above partisan politics, mm. you know. He's supposed to be a unifying figure. You may, you may in the past have an affiliation with a party, but it doesn't mean that going forward, you do not have the capacity to be independent. And the best example of this would be Ong Teng Chong, mm. you know, who was a very senior member of the PAP, member of the cabinet. But when he became president, he was a quite fierce, you know, protector of the powers of presidency. He even brought a lawsuit against the government. Got it. You know? Yes. So I always give the example of Ong Teng Chong to say that you cannot judge a person's future performance on the basis of his past affiliation. Understood. So I guess what's on a lot of people's minds is whether or not Mr. Thaman will be able to perform his duties in a non-partisan way. So do you think that he'll be able to do so? I've, I've known him for a very long time, you know. And uh, he, he's a man with a certain independence of mind. Mm. And I think he will not compromise his integrity, you know. When it comes to carrying out the duties of president, he would do it well and he would uh, not feel under pressure to do his former political allies a favour. So if he, I mean, to give you an example, if, for example, he's presented with a candidate for appointment to a key position of public service, and in his best judgment, the person is not qualified for the job, I have no question but that he will veto the appointment. Has there been past uh, instances in which we have seen this example of independence of mind that uh, Mr. Taman has exhibited? I think that it was well known that within the cabinet, he belonged to the faction that wanted to make Singapore more equal, less unequal. Okay. You know, to uh, to initiate social policy that would um, benefit the low-income families and the disadvantaged. Understood. So there are a lot of people who actually saw the PE as a proxy for the general election. So, uh, of course, we understand that the, the role is above politics, yeah. but following that same line of thought, like, do you think the results for this PE, which was overwhelmingly yeah. positive for Mr. Thaman, uh, can it be seen as a barometer for, of support for the PAP? Uh, no. <laughs> and, and the PAP will be making a serious misjudgment if it were to infer from the big victory for Taman that it's an endorsement of the party, you know, and that the ground is sweet, you know. The two things are different and separate. When we're entering the, the PE, I mean, it was off the back of a lot of like political scandals, yeah. you know. So why do you think people were willing to set that yeah, aside? I was a bit worried that the scandals might touch him, you know. But I think they, they again, as I say, that he's not representing the PAP, you know. Mm. He's representing himself. He's character, his track record, his uh, international sending, you know, and people were impressed by him. And also, don't forget, the good work that he and Jane did for 22 years on the ground in Taman, I think meant a lot, you mm. know. 
I mean, looking back at PE 2023, now that it all is done yeah. and dusted, um, was there anything that surprised you or were there any lessons that perhaps you learned that was different from other PEs or other GEs even? I think Taman's big majority was a surprise. Okay. Yeah, I, I was optimistic that he would win, but I wasn't sure by what margin. I didn't expect him to get 70% of the vote. You know, that was a big surprise. I also thought that Kok Song and Kinen will combine have more than 30% of the vote. You know? Right. Yeah. And so I, I was surprised too. I, I got it wrong. And, and also, I'm, I'll tell you one thing more, no? During the campaign, one day I went to a, a service station to fill up my tank. Okay. And this person asked me, uh, who are you going to vote for? I said, I'm going to vote for Taman. I was really shocked by his rudeness and said, I'll never vote for an Indian candidate. Wow. Yeah. That rocked me a little bit, you know. Mm. And I was asking myself, what percentage of the ethnic Chinese electorate share his feeling that we will only support a Chinese candidate? But I think the result shows that the percentage of Chinese chauvinists is very small. You know? yeah. yeah. And so the big lesson for me is race is never irrelevant. But PE23 show us that race is not decisive. Mm. It's the merit of the candidate that decides it. I agree. Um, I think a lot of, especially the younger uh, Singaporeans, we kind of assume that, you know, rate, like the issue of race isn't that huge anymore, right? We always say like, how can anyone think that way, that you'll, like someone will vote for someone just entirely based on race? Um, this was a similar lesson for me as well because when I was doing um, all the con digital content on social media, of course, um, uh, I'm also monitoring the comments that come in. And there were some comments that were entirely like uh, against Mr. Thaman solely because of race as well. Yeah. And it's shocking to yeah. see that in today's age. Yeah. But uh, I just want to say that it is still you know, uh, something that is, is present. It's just yeah. that not loud anymore. Yeah. Yeah. It, will, it will never go away. It will never go away, but with the passing years, the numbers of, of whether Chinese chauvinists or Indian chauvinists will shrink. Mm. And the percentage of the population that rise above race and will focus on the merit of candidate will rise. So this is the happy news that come out of the election, no? Absolutely. Um, so just one last final question about the uh, reflections on, on PE. Um, what do you think the results say about Singaporeans today? The Singapore electorate came through very well, mm. you know. It showed maturity, discernment, and fairness. It wanted to focus on the merit of the three candidates and not be distracted by attempt to, to politicize the election or to go negative, you know. I, I, I think full marks to the Singapore electorate. <laughs> and it also very good for Singapore, you know. It's really heartwarming to know that when we have a minority candidate of exceptional quality, he transcends race. Absolutely. And Singaporean, all races will support him, you know. Yes. So we look back at episode one with Dr. Gillian Cole <laughs> of this show. Uh, and we understand from that episode that the 
president plays three crucial roles, yeah. right? So one is the constitutional role, yeah. the second is the ceremonial role, and the third one is the community role. So for the next part of our conversation, yeah. I would like to discuss what we can expect perhaps, you know, for, from Mr. Thaman. Of course, we can't predict the future, but I think that we could look back at his long history in politics yeah. uh, to see perhaps what can the presidency look like under like, him. Can I add one more role? Sure. Yeah. I think the president also has the diplomatic role. Oh, yes. Yeah. I mean, it's not written in the constitution, but it's a consequence of his status as head of state. I don't know whether you know that all Singapore ambassadors receive their letters of credence from the president. I never knew that. Yeah, not from the prime minister from, or foreign member from the president. And all incoming ambassadors have to present their letters of credence to the president. Right. Yeah. And, and visiting heads of state, heads of government, other leaders will often request a call on the president. You know? mm. So president has to have the knowledge, presence of mind, articulation to engage with foreign leaders. And one of the things the president makes is to go on state visits to other countries. Right. And it's a very high signature, no? Because he's head of state, the most important person in our hierarchy, when the president visits another country, it's a very high signature event. Mm. It shows the great importance that we attach to that country. You know. Hello, help us get more guests like Professor Tommy Cole. You can support our small but growing channel by clicking subscribe or follow. It is entirely free, but it really, really helps us. A thumbs up and five-star rating also goes a long way. And now, back to the episode. So perhaps before we go into the three yeah. roles, let's talk about him as a diplomat, right? Okay. Because from what I'm, I mean, from what I'm hearing from a lot of people, they say that he's an exceptional diplomat. At the risk of offending all the preceding presidents, <laughs> <laughs> I would say on your program that in my view, we've never had a president so well qualified mm. to represent Singapore abroad. Taman's exceptional. You know, he's well regarded by the UN which I think made him co-chair of a very important commission, Water, well regarded by IMF, well regarded by G20. He's the chairman of a group of 30 financial experts of the world, you know. I mean, we've never produced a person with such high international standing, you know. So we're very fortunate, at least in MFA, I feel very fortunate that, that I have a future chief diplomat of Singapore who will keep our flag flying very high. You know. Absolutely. And perhaps you could spell it out for our audience, right? Like what, what value does that bring? Like why is it important for Singapore to have such a uh, diplomat uh, with high international standings? For a small country, um, our connectivity is important. You know, the fact that he's connected to so many important institutions means he can open door for us. If we have an agenda to pursue, he can help us pursue that agenda. The foreign minister can give it a first push. The prime minister give it a bigger push. But the person who can push it across the, the red line is the president. Oh, yeah. one would assume that, that it would be the PM. No. Why, why the president? Because constitutionally, the president is head of state. And in our hierarchy, in every country's hierarchy, the president ranks above the prime minister. Mm. 
Okay, thanks for explaining that to yeah. us. So now let's go into the three roles, and um, starting with the constitutional role. Right. So since 1991, the president has been empowered to veto government budgets and also key public uh, appointments if there are reasons to do so. And he's advised by the Council of Presidential yeah. Advisors on such matters. So during this PE itself, I think that's what the other two candidates were also um, uh, focusing on, you know, the, the ability to uh, have this constitutional uh, responsibility. So do you uh, believe that um, President-elect Thurman uh, will be able to exercise his duties uh, responsibly? Um, of course, but you missed out something. Oh, <laughs> Not just to veto budget, but to give his approval or not give his approval to request to draw on our reserve. Oh, yes, 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 you yes. Know? That's a very important function because we have very substantial reserves, you know, and there are our funds for a rainy day. Mm. And we've experienced some rainy days in the last decade or so. But uh, the president is the, he holds the second key. He safeguard the reserve and prevent an unwise use of our reserve. Mm. But he, as you say correctly, he, he can also veto budgets. Right, right, yeah. right. And he can veto appointments to key positions in our public service. Got it. Yeah. So actually, um, throughout the campaigning period, I think some people mentioned that um, having a having someone to properly safeguard our resources is very important because it is also a matter of national security. Yeah. Um, I think some of us might find it difficult to relate the reserves to national security. So let me give you an example why it is um a source of national security. Mm. Some years ago, when Saddam Hussein was president of Iraq, he invaded Kuwait and attempted to Kuwait, attempted to incorporate Kuwait into the territory of Iraq. You know, um, it was terrible for the Iraqis. You know, the, the the place was destroyed, and fortunately, I don't know whether you know, Kuwait has the first. Sovereign Wealth Fund and very substantial reserve. Mm. So in, in that time of great adversity, Kuwait survived, partly of course because the UN led by the United States sent in its armed forces and repelled the Iraqi invaders. But economically, Kuwait survived because it was able to draw on this very substantial reserve accumulated over, over many decades. So that's an example. Now let's move on to the next two roles, right? The ceremonial role as well as the community role. How do you think he'll perform for those two roles? I think the ceremonial role, which I, I would also call a community role, right, is domestic. Mm. You know, it, it does it does got nothing to do with our re, re, relation to the world. During the campaign, I like the fact that Taman said, if I'm elected, I will be the first volunteer of Singapore. Mm. That touched me because I've been championing volunteerism. I think a good society is one in which a very high percentage of the citizens work as volunteers for a cause close to their hearts. And for him to champion volunteerism is a very good thing. And as, as you know, he's crazy about sports, right? Yes. <laughs> so, so for the first time, you have a person who, who's a champion of sports. You know, so this is good. I hope we can inject some life into our football, <laughs> into yes, our yes, football yes. community. You know, and 
bring bring back the glory days of the past. I think a lot of people would love that, actually. Yeah, and, and, and the other thing is that Jane is tremendously helpful to him in that she's been focusing on helping the disadvantaged, the marginalized, the poor. I'll give you an example. When I was chairman of NHB, I appointed Jane to chair the Singapore Art Museum, you know. And one day she said, can I open an exhibition at the museum? I'm so I said, of course, happy to do that. Then I found out to my surprise that it's a museum whose exhibits were created by prisoners, mm. you know? And I asked Jane, how did you manage to create such beautiful works? She has been bringing art teachers to teach art to the prisoners. Right. And some of the prisoners have artistic talent, you know? One of them is now a professional potter and one of the ten centers of uh, Taman nomination. Right. You know, so, so Jane has complimented Taman's good work by reaching out to these communities. You know? what, do, what do you think that says about her as a, as, a, as, a, as a person, right? Her personality, her values. She's very warm and approachable, you know. And uh, she's not standoffish, not aloof. Uh, I think she's very much a people person. So she combined a brilliant mind with a very good heart, I think. Absolutely. Uh, you know, I was on a panel on Channel 8 as well, and, and they asked, you know, do you think that she added points to to his yeah. campaign? And I said, absolutely. Yeah. I think um, also when you when you see them together, you yeah. know, uh, he, she brings out a more a softer side to yeah. him, a lighter, a lighthearted side to him that I think perhaps made people relate more to him as well. Yeah. Um, I think a lot of us, well, previously saw him as this like uh, minister right? <laughs> and, and like, whoa, and he's always very, very cerebral, very cerebral. Yes, yeah. yes. Uh, but, you know, uh, I mean, perhaps it was social media pla as a platform as well. But whenever the two of them appeared during a campaign on social media uh, videos, we always saw that lighthearted, um, yeah. even uh, casual, candid side mm. to him. And I thought that made people like him a lot more. Yeah. yeah. And since you talk about social media, can I say that? one of the distinguishing the characteristic of this election mm -hmm. compared to other elections is the role played by social media. Mm. Yeah. Social media really emerged, you know. It becomes such an important platform for all the candidates, you know. Yeah. And I must say that most of them are very good at it, you know. Yeah. So, so I mean, I can also like pull up the curtains a little <laughs> bit on this and, and say that actually um, most of the candidates or presidential hopefuls, they had teams working behind oh, them. Um, so uh, I can share that uh, Mr. Thaman, Mr. Ng Kok Song, and Mr. George Go all had um, professional uh, people oh, uh, okay. helping them with social media. And you could really see um, uh, that uh, their campaigns were really put together by very... Uh, people who are very savvy with the mm -hmm. platforms and I think that that changes the, the game entirely because yeah. I think for future elections yeah. um, you'll be putting yourself uh, at a disadvantage if you don't have a team yeah. behind you um, yeah. I was a bit worried when the, the election department said it discouraged the candidates from having rallies mm. you know because in the past it was the rallies that brought people together yes. you know so I was wondering Without rallies, how are the candidates going to meet people, communicate by message? So two things became prominent. One, social media, and the second, our hawker centre. <laughs> no, really? Yeah. You know? 
hawker center. I've I've always um related the two t- as the same the same concept, the same yeah. idea actually. Because um when GE twenty twenty happened, I think that's when it was the really the first election that we really saw what the potential of what social media can yeah. look like, right? So um I was using Instagram back then and, and that's where really the platform came about. And I was explaining to everyone, you know, in the past, um uh, campaigning would be going to places like hawker centers where yeah. everybody congregates and then you get to meet a lot of people there. Right. In the same vein, social media is the same thing. You know, you're going to, um, instead of a hawker center, yeah. now a social media platform where a yeah. lot of people are congregating and then you get to like introduce yourself to people in that way. It's just that on social media, it is on a much larger scale. Right. Um, but it's quite interesting also to hear from other people that, um, I mean, as we can see from Mr. Thaman's uh, uh, campaign and also then Mr. Unkok Song's campaign who ran yeah. a fully digital campaign mm-hmm. um, not ev- like social media followers does not en- entirely translate to votes itself you know people might be interested mm-hmm. and might engage with your content right. but at the end of the day I think a lot of Singaporeans are, st- Singaporeans are still able to look at full picture yeah. and also take into consideration um, other aspects as well right. so that that's definitely food for thought um, but yeah I do think that moving forward uh, social media will play a Come huge even more part, part. Yeah, yeah. Uh, in in terms of uh, communications yeah. during elections, actually, yeah. yes. And I think podcasts will be <laughs> will, will be one. Um, in fact, uh, I think when we were doing uh, this show, particularly, we really didn't expect it to reach so many people. Yeah. Um, I think we were. I mean, we have been doing podcasts yeah. for a while, and the numbers we we see the numbers right. Yeah. Uh, but when I guess it was lightning in a bottle, like everybody was just interested to hear more from yeah. the candidates um, when you have a privilege of sitting down one hour with yeah. each one of them yes. uh, it really becomes very intimate you know right. and, and you really get to see their personalities right. come out yeah so it's quite interesting on that end so jumping off of our discussion about like their, their roles in the community yeah. um, during the the campaigning period Mr. Thaman actually as you said came forward to say I will be the first volunteer or you know yeah. I'll really um uh, help the the people on the ground and, yeah. and support ground up initiatives. Um, he, I I do think that when people voted for him, it was a vote for perhaps a more optimistic future for Singapore. Yeah. Um, but I also think that a lot of young people like us are a little bit cynical. You know, mm-hmm. we're like, are you sure? Because more and more we see kind of like a a divided world. Yes. Um, especially by um exacerbated by social media. Mm-hmm. So do you think um this ideal world of optimism and solidarity uh, is really achievable in Singapore? But it's better to be optimistic than pessimistic, right? (laughs) That's true. Especially in a leader. I mean, as a leader, you have to give hope to your followers. Mm -hmm. I mean, can you imagine having a president who is (laughs) pessimist? I mean, you can't lead a country of people if you don't have a sense of confidence in yourself, your people, their future. No, he's right to be optimistic. Mm-hmm. And now he had to deliver on some of his promises, you know. And, and I think it'd be good if he were to champion sport, champion voluntarism, champion ground-up initiatives, ground-up initiatives, to make Singapore a more equal, a more caring and a better place. Yes. I, I think um, he said it with so much conviction that I think people were like, oh, I think I think he, he just might, you know. Yeah. So I think that that was um what I think what a lot of my peers were thinking also. Yeah. They, 
um, they were very convinced by the way he so confidently yeah. said it. Uh, it's kind of like, okay, if you're going to be that confident... I mean, <laughs> I think he was sincere. He was. And he was. in a way, it's also up to the rest of us to help him carry out his pledges. Mm. Yeah. Absolutely. So now that um, we know that he will become president uh, soon, soon enough... 14th September. Yes. <laughs> uh, what do you think will be some of the key challenges that he will face uh, in the next couple of years or during his term as president? Um, his challenges are, to some extent, the country's challenges. True. You know, and the country's challenges are, to some extent, the world's challenges. Okay. Unfortunately, we become, we are now living in a world, again, divided into rival blocks. Mm. You have a block led by the United States, another block led by China. We don't want to be uh, aligned to either bloc. We want to be a friends with both the United States and China. Mm. You know? I think we are also now living in a uh, world with some neg neg negative trend. I think there are many challenges to free trade. The Americans have turned their back on free trade and become protectionists. The support for multilateralism is on the decline. The rule of law has been uh, so seriously broken by the Russian invasion of Ukraine, you know. And I think that there are many challenges in this world, no? So it, it really takes Singapore a lot of skill, courage, uh, knowledge to navigate this divided, unstable and dangerous world, no? And I think the president, in partnership with the prime minister, can, can help us. Mm -hmm. So on the flip side to that will be perhaps some of the opportunities yeah. that can come about. Sure. So um, what do you think will be some of the key opportunities that will be coming uh, his way and also, I guess, Singapore's way? I think the world is going through a new industrial revolution. You know? okay. It's not just digital, it's biotechnology, it's AI. I think many countries will will, um, I wouldn't say destroyed, will be disadvantaged because they are not well prepared for the fourth industrial revolution. They've not educated their people well. Many of them have the wrong mindset of uh, resisting change and technology. I think we have the right mindset. We've educated our people well. I think we will be one of the winners of this new industrial revolution. So I'm, I'm very optimistic, you know. Yeah. My concern is that in any revolution, it is the gifted, talented people who will benefit the most. Okay. So it may make our social divide even greater. You see. So the challenge for the PM and for the incoming president is how can we narrow this divide? You know? How can we take care of people who are the losers, not winners, but losers of this new industrial revolution? You know? How do we make sure that they don't feel angry, alienated, and like people in America become angry voters, you know. We don't want that in Singapore, you know. So I see many opportunities, you know. I think that as a small country but a thought leader, we can galvanize small countries of the world, uh, as we have done in the UN, creating the Forum of Small States, consisting of 108 members, to make the world a safer and better place for small country. Mm. Uh, Prof, you know, you mentioned uh, many times now, like the uh, uh, PM and president working hand together. in hand. Uh, together, yes. Uh, 
perhaps you could help us illustrate, you know, uh, what that relationship is like. Because um, I think until perhaps this PE, a lot of us have always seen the two as separate roles, yeah. you know. Uh, but throughout the campaign period, we realized that, hey, actually the two of them can actually come together and, and, and work yeah. hand in hand. I think in general, they should work in harmony with each other. The president has no power to pursue his own foreign policy or domestic policy, mm. you know. But I think the custom is for them to meet once a week so they have a chance to speak in privacy, in confidence. And the president can share his ideas with the prime minister. And if the prime minister respects the president, he may take on board some of the good ideas, you know. Mm. Occasionally, of course, the relation may become conflictful. If the president feels that a key appointment that the prime minister wishes to make is not a, not a qualified candidate, that would be an, a conflictful situation, you know. Or if the prime minister wanted to draw on reserve in a manner that the president and the council of presidential advisors think unwise, that would be a conflictful situation. But on most times, they work as partners, mm. you know, and they pursue the same interests. Got it. Uh, so I guess the elephant in the room is that, um, you know, PM Lee has said that, oh, I'm, uh, my, my succession plans are now back on track, right? Which also means then I think everybody's thinking about who the next PM is. And most likely, the next PM will be the one working with uh, President like Thaman in his, in his uh, tenure. So, it's, sorry, it's not most likely. It, the next PM will certainly oh, be Lawrence, Lawrence Wong. <laughs> oh, yeah, yes. I think it's been decided, right? Okay. So, so yes. So, TPM Lawrence Wong will be the, uh, the person that will be working He will alongside. be our fourth Prime Minister. He will be our fourth yeah, Prime Minister. he will be our fourth Prime Minister. And uh, he will be working with President Thaman, right? So, um, I'm, we are not uh, maybe privy to kind of like the relationship that the two of them already share or uh, Perhaps you could give us some insight on, onto how the two of them... I don't, I don't. You don't know? Okay. I mean, I, I know the current PM has great respect for Taman. Mm -hmm. And they worked together as colleagues in the cabinet for many years, you know. But with DPM, Lawrence Wong, I don't know. Ah. But I assume that the 4G leaders will also have a respectful attitude to a Taman in the light of his record at home and abroad, mm. you know. Absolutely. So I think all in all, um, you know, knowing what what comes, um, what is coming our way with regards to the leadership changes and whatnot, I do think that this is is painting a very optimistic future for yeah. Singapore. If I'm being honest, yeah. So, uh, last question would be, um, for I guess our young listeners yes. to take away from this episode. Yeah. Uh, is there any like final words you'd like to share with them with regards to what they can look forward to with Mr. Thaman <laughs> as our president? I think my message to young Singaporeans is that. Singaporeans have come through this presidential election in, in a wonderful manner, you know. It has shown that the, the electorate has matured. It has picked a new president on merit, not on his race. And that the, the electorate actually punishes candidates that turn negative and attack other candidates. Mm. This is so wonderful, you know. And we have a wonderful president and a wonderful first lady. So we should celebrate this. 
Absolutely. Well, that's all the time that we have. So thank you, Professor Tommy Cole, for coming to this show. Uh, it's been really can, an honor to speak thank to you. you. Um, I think just two years ago, you know, all of us were uh, always discussing all your <laughs> Facebook posts, you know, among our friendship groups and WhatsApp yeah. chats. And uh, for me to speak to you in thank person, you. I, I, I'm very honored and thank you, appreciate Joe. your time. Thank you. Keep up your good work. <laughs> thank you. All right, guys, that's it for the first season of Political Prude, the podcast. Thank you so, so much for joining us on this journey. Now, we have actually received so much feedback from you guys. So between now and the next time you see us, we will be working on improving the quality of this show. Subscribe to the channel if you're on YouTube and give us a follow on Spotify as well as Apple Podcasts. Now, this show was very proudly brought to you by Zodapop by Zerat Media. We are a podcast community and network. So if you're looking for a media house to help you launch a podcast or if you're a creator looking for a community to start your journey with, we are here to welcome you with open arms. If you want to check out some of the other shows that we produce or other creator-led shows within the community, just search up Zodapop by Zerat Media on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and they should come up. This has been Political Prude, the podcast, and I'll see you next time. This was the Zodapop podcast.